tell you, you need to hang on to your Bibles really close to you because that's just the jumping off spot today. Four weeks left. Four weeks until we begin our meetings that are focused on revival. We're going to begin a journey today. Hopefully we're going to begin a journey on a road to revival, and the only road to revival is the repentance road. We'll all agree and and at least nod your head if you don't respond. We all agree that our country is in desperate need of revival. And if our country's in desperate need, our state's in desperate need, if our state's in desperate need, our county's in desperate need, if our county's in desperate need, our community's in desperate need, and if our community's in desperate need, our church is in desperate need of revival. Road to revival is only one way. If God's going to revive our hearts, it's going to be on the road to repentance. You see... Spiritual revival is more than just, I've said this many times, it's more just than just a few days of meetings. It's a divine movement of God that awakens the cold heart, revives the dead heart, and then places the kingdom agenda front and center. And that's my prayer. Last year, if you recall, some of you will, some of you won't, Last year in August, I began a series of meetings that we called, a series of sermons that we called Authentic. We talked about the authentic Christian. We talked about the authentic church. And in early to mid-August, when I began that series, I I shared with you a list of nine sins that I I had gleaned, church sins uh, that I'd gleaned from Dr. Kevin Ham at First Baptist Gardendale. And so let me just, let me just, if you just hit that space bar one time, there it is, weak pulpits, tiny faith, timid prayers, small commitment, silent witness, no joy, little compassion, dry eyes, shallow worship. And then I added a tenth for to his nine, no fear of God. If you... If you remember, I told you that I added that tenth. If you also remember a second thing, I shared with you that we would probably revisit these after the first of the year. And as I began to pray and think about us getting ready for God to do something extraordinary in our midst, God brought these back to me. And so over the next four weeks, we'll take the three that you see just build from the bottom up. And then we'll end on the 30th with no fear of God. I pray that you'll be here. You can just hit that space bar. That'll clear us out. Because I want your attention on me. Because I want to begin with a question. Here's the question. Are you ready? Let me say it this way. Are we ready for God to do something in this place? Something like he's never done before, something beyond our imagination, something that we cannot even ask. Are we, am I, are you ready for God to move like he did at Pentecost 
Are we ready for God to move like he did in the Acts, the book of Acts? I ask this because if we don't want it, he's not likely to send it. And in my heart of hearts, I'm afraid that we are not ready. Not particularly willing, because it'll change us. Not particularly wanting, because we think that we are things are fine just like they are in our world. I get that. That's what we think. But I ask you this morning, what would happen if God would do your preacher like he did Ezekiel in chapter 37? You see, he, he picked up Ezekiel and he sent him, carried him divinely to the Valley of Bones. So what, what happened this morning? Would you still have the same opinion if God supernaturally picked me up and moved me to the front row and all of a sudden our Lord Jesus was standing here? And you could see the nail prints into his wrist. You could see the scar in his side. Maybe even the crown of thorns on his head. And then he looked at us, all of us, with those eyes of fire. Those eyes that are like x-ray vision. Those eyes that doesn't stop with your external. Those eyes that sees your heart. Where's what I know? We as a church, we as individuals are just like those seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. To Smyrna, he said, man, I know your afflictions. To Thyatira, he says, I know where you live. To Ephesus, to Sardis, to Pergamos. To Laodicea, he said, listen, guys, I know your works. I really know what you're doing. I know what your motivation is. I know your heart's better than you know yourself. It's against that backdrop. We start walking this road to repentance. And this road to repentance may cause us to step places where we don't, it may not fit us individually. It may not fit us as a church. We may find some things along the way that, we don't have to repent of because we're not dumb. At the same time, we may find the things or the thing that keeps God from doing all he wants to with us. That might be another definition for a revival. God doing all he wants to in me. So we walk this road these next four weeks to discover these things. To discover some things that might keep us from feeling the freshness of God's presence. From feeling the fire of God's power. From feeling, from feeling the filling of God's peace. When we experience these things, awakening has begun. And just so you don't think I've lost my mind, there may be somebody here who's never trusted Christ. Because these messages are decidedly for God's church. If there's someone here and you've been a church member for a long time, 
Or maybe you've never been a church member. Here's what I want to tell you. Jesus loves you. Here's what the Bible says about us. We are all sinners by nature and choice. That our sin separates us from a holy God. That we can never be good enough for God to let us into heaven. But this God who loves us, he sent Jesus to die for us. Jesus came, lived. He was born, that's Christmas. Lived, died, that's Easter. He rose again, that's Easter. And he offers you a way to know God through him, through forgiveness, when you trust him and invite him into your life. It's not about how many churches you go to, how much attendance you have, although I think church attendance is a requirement for someone who trusts and knows Christ. If you never trusted Christ, why not today make it your day? Quit relying on your heritage. Quit relying on your mom and dad's legacy. Quit relying on your family, but rely on Jesus. He's the only one that can save you. So, let's begin our journey together. Today we'll take those three that you saw on the bottom of the screen. We begin with weak pulpits. Now, I start with this. Just so you know, those who are concerned that I've mentioned Kevin so much, Kevin didn't put them in this order because he didn't see it like I did. He and I conversed this week a little bit. At home, I'll tell you, weak pulpits. I have to begin right here because this is close to home for me. I have to lead with this sin because this is what we all in this room must know. That of all the things we're about to face up to, it all has to begin in and with your pastor. Your pastor has to repent of those things that he's done done wrong. I can't carry you as your leader anywhere I haven't walked myself. My personal heart of repentance is, Lord, for those times that I've taken your word into my own hands, I repent. Don't let me say anything but your truth, your word, your gospel. Don't let me get sidetracked on side issues. Help me speak your message. I wish I could say that was true in every church today, but but you know, in a lot of churches today, there are preachers who are afraid to preach the truth. They're they're afraid to preach the truth of God from the Word of God and the power of God with the anointing of God to the people of God. I hear too many preachers that there's no passion, there's no urgency, there's no fire, there's no anointing. Well, I heard one preacher say, there's so much death in our pews today because there's so little life in our pulpits. Fourth chapter, I told you to turn to the fourth chapter of Timothy, and you didn't think I was ever going to get there, and this is going to be a Bible drill today. This is so urgent, this thing of weak pulpits, that in his last letter, his last words, he wrote to Timothy, his young preacher, and this is what he said. I solemnly, now if I'd have been on my game this week, I would have had a, a bend to highlight that. I solemnly charge you before God in Christ Jesus, and that Christ Jesus is the one who's going to judge the living and dead, preach the word. The word is what needs to be preached. The word is what changes people. The word empowered by the spirit of God. Why do we preach the word? 
How about Isaiah? If you want to turn there, you can. Isaiah 55. You can turn there if you'd like. But this is what it says. God speaks. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. The Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Go ahead, Ben. For just, now farmers, I want you to get this. For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without saturating the earth and making it germinate and sprout and providing seed to sow and the food to eat, in that same way, so my word that comes from my mouth will not return to me empty or void, same, same word, but it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to do. You see, the preacher doesn't have to find and invent ways to, to convey the word. All the preacher has to do is tell it, share it, proclaim it. God won't. God won't bless a church who has a man in the pulpit that won't preach his word. As I've already said, some preachers preach out of fear, fear of job loss. And there are preachers who have lost their jobs in America for preaching the truth. And in foreign countries, some of them are afraid that they'll preach the truth, that there'll be a spy there. They'll be killed, and yet they do it just the same. Here's what I'm going to tell you, Ben. You're headed, to, you're headed into the ministry. If anybody else is called into ministry, please don't go into the ministry if you're afraid. It's not having confidence in yourself. It's having confidence in your Lord. Because he wrote to Timothy in the first letter, and he said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. But I will tell you this, folks. It may not be so prevalent out here on the creek, but I have been in those places. I have seen those members or those attenders that have walked in and heard God's word and left. You preach God's word. Some people won't, won't tolerate it. I'll go somewhere. And Brother Jerry, why is that? Well, Paul addresses that in the fourth chapter. Kick it up there, Ben. For the time will come, and can I just say this, the time is today. The time is today. The time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own own desires, let me just pause there. According to their own desires, they'll find a church that preaches things that they want to hear. That's what it says. But according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves. It could be TV preachers. It could be uh, a, a church that doesn't preach the word because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to miss. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. I need to tell you, I work on that every day. Generally, I do okay about it, but I... But I I'm not perfect there. Exercise self-control in everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your 
for ministry. What is your ministry? That's doing the work of the evangelist. What does that mean? It means make room for people. It means embrace people. It means share the gospel. It means disciple people. It means love people. It means bring people to Jesus, care for all people. Why? Because of Jesus. Jesus came for, lived for, died for, and loves all people. And he wants them to find a way into a local church family. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, this is my prayer. I repent. Please forgive me for the times that I took your word into my own hands. Instead of allowing your word, instead of allowing your power and your truth to control my mouth and my message. Forgive me those times I've not rightly divided your word. And Father, I pray that same prayer for every pulpit in this body. I pray for those Sunday school teachers who faithfully stand to share. I pray, Lord, that uh, they, like I, will present nothing but your word. For those small group leaders, I pray, Lord, that they will give nothing but your word. Lord, forgive us what we failed you. Make us right before you. In Jesus' name. Send number one, weak pulpits. Send number two, tiny faith. Tiny faith. I ask you, how big is your God? How big is your God? He's just big enough to get you from church, from home to the, to the property to, to worship. Is he just big enough to save you but not big enough to do something else? Oh, no, Brother Jerry, man, he's really big. I go, really? He's really big? Well, tell me this. What do we trust God for? Let me make it more personal. What do you trust God for? What do you ask him for? What is it that you have believed him for that is so big that if he didn't come through, you would be embarrassed and it would fail? How about us as a church? I mean, the truth is, the truth is, the modern-day Americanized Baptist church doesn't really function like that. We say we have a big faith. We say we have a big God. We promote the idea like it's something huge. But if we can't see it, or we can't touch it, or we can't feel it, or we can't prove it, or it doesn't come out on a spreadsheet, a balance sheet, and it doesn't add up, and so we don't believe. You know, folks, I just asked this question, and I've asked some folks a lot smarter than me these questions. Where does it say in the Bible that God has quit working supernaturally? Can you show it to me? I had a preacher tell me, well, he just don't work the same today. As he used to, and I said, can you show that to me? And the reason he doesn't 
I believe is, is tied up in what I call the Nazareth principle. He went to Nazareth. And he couldn't do many miracles there. Saddest story in the Bible. Couldn't do many miracles there because the people who had raised him, the people who had grown up around, the people had become so familiar with him that they didn't trust him for the big stuff. They would trust him for the little stuff, but not for the big stuff. We want to talk about faith and big faith. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 18. Chapter 18. You'll recognize the lead character's name. It's, uh, um, it's Elijah, a man of faith and a, mighty, and a mighty God. Now, in 18 chapter 1, if you don't have your Bible, I think it's going to be on the screen. Watch this. We're just going to kind of wander through this. The chapter begins after a long time. What are you talking about? Well, if you look back at chapter 17, we won't, but I'll just tell you that, there was a, that he pronounced the drought. He pronounced the drought to Ahab. And now a long time had passed, and there was, a, there was a drought. And then after a long time, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. Go and present yourself to Ahab. I will Send rain on the surface of the land. You know what the truth is? That was big stuff. You know why? Because of the drought. Because they needed rain. Because they were were dry. Now, if you will, scoot over in that same chapter to verse 41. Verse 41. Elijah said to Ahab, Get up and eat and drink. But there's a sound of a rainstorm. This morning I woke up to the sound of rain in my house. Y'all built such a wonderful house. It has to really be raining for me to hear it inside. I don't hear a lot that goes on outside. Y'all just you did great. But I heard the rain this morning. But you know what's interesting about him saying, I, there is the sound of a rainstorm? I hear the sound of a rainstorm? You know what's so wonderful about that? What's so incredible about that? What shows that he didn't have a tiny faith? There was no wind. There was no clouds. There was no thunder. There was no lightning. At this point, there was no rain. But Elijah said, I hear it. How did he hear it? He heard it in his spirit because God said it to be. You see, history... Excuse me, prophecy is history written in advance. I wish I could remember it. But an old, one of the great faith leaders, even in the Southern Baptist Convention, said you have to believe it to be so it will be, so, it, so God will make it be. You see, the truth is he gave, God gave him the word. Now look at what happened after he said that. Down in verses 42 to 46, watch this. This is going to kind of touch us if our hearts are open. So Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah, watch this, he went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees, a position of humility before God. It's a position we need to learn once again. He sat down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and 
And then he said, don't you like this? You can go forward, Ben. Then he said, then he said to his servant, get up and go, and, excuse me, get up and look out toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Now I'm going to pause here. I want to pause here because I really want to make a point. He went to Carmel, and if I thought I could get back up, I would sit down and put my head between my knees, okay? But I'd be embarrassed. I could do it if I rolled around, but I'm not going to do it. But he got down, and he said, Sam, go see if there's a cloud. No, nothing. Sam, go back. Nothing. Go back. Nothing. Go back. Nothing. Go back. Nothing. Go back. Six times he went and he came back and there was nothing. If Elijah had had a tiny faith, he would not have sent his servant back repeatedly. And I wonder if that's the problem in the modern day American church. Could it be that our faith is so small that we quit before God begins. Are y'all listening? We quit praying. Oh, I tried that. It didn't work. I don't come to prayer meeting anymore. It don't work. Said who? Whose timetable are you on? Witnessing. I've shared the faith. I, I, I move from person to person and I give the faith, but it doesn't seem God is working. According to whose timetable? Giving. I give my money. I give my time. I give my talent. Serving. You can go right down the list. I wonder if we quit too soon. Six times. Most of us would not have done it six times. I could get an amen there, couldn't I? And then he said, go back. And when he came back, he said, well, let me just read it. On the seventh time, verse 44, is that up there? Yeah. On the seventh time, Sam, he reported, oh, there's a cloud up there, small as a man's hand, coming in from the sea. <laughs> Look what Elijah said. Then Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, get your chariots ready and go down on so the rain doesn't stop you. And in a little while, sky grew dark with clouds and wind and there was a downpour so Ahab got his chariot and went to Jezreel power of the Lord was on Elijah and he tucked his mantle under his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel you see the truth is let me just give it to you in my, ter- my terms he sent his servant back the seventh time and the servant came back and he goes well, there's a cloud over there, but it's not, it doesn't look promising. It's probably nothing I can cover it with my hand. It's just a little thing. Obviously, that servant had never been in South Mississippi. How many times have we seen those small clouds and God decided to send the rain? And He does. All, all Elijah saw was told, was that cloud was there and He sent word to, to the king. Can you imagine how devastating this had been if God hadn't come through? You better get ready because the bottom's about to fall out. You better try to beat me to Jezreel. Can you imagine that? He's wearing a choir rope. 
a choir robe. Ahab's got a chariot. And he outran the chariot to Jezreel under the power of the Lord. But I, what I like to think was when that storm came up because of that big faith that Elijah had, it's kind of like a South Mississippi thunderstorm. comes from nowhere and floods. Here's what I want to say to you as I pass this point and pray for us. God was and is as good as his word. God said it. That settles it. Debbie, Susan, we were in youth choir those many years ago in the 70s. There was a song that came out just after I left here, I think. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Well, let me just tell you something. That was a great song. We sang it for many times on tours and what have you. But it's theologically inaccurate. God said it. That settles it. It don't matter what you believe. That's how powerful our God is. With respect to everyone in this building, I think we have forgotten how big and mighty God is. I think we have forgotten that he is worthy of a big faith. One of my fears is that when I get to heaven one day, that God will say, Jerry, I had so much more in store for you. I, I had so much planned. Look, look what I had planned for you. And when you were at New Hope, look what I had planned for them to do and to be. I have to tell you, folks, in the context of my theology, it'll be at that point where Jesus will have to reach over and wipe the tear from my eyes. When it comes to our fellowship, I pray that we are not people of little faith. I pray that we do not possess little faith. So I ask this question. And for goodness sakes, don't respond. It's rhetorical. Just respond before the Lord. Do you think that we're really doing all that God wants us to do to bring the gospel to the nations? Now, if that's a little bit broad for you, let me just ask you this. Do you really think that we're doing all that we can do to bring the gospel to our community? Why not? I love us. I've, I've stated that so many times. I love being here. I love being your pastor. But if I'm honest, I have to say, it's one of those things we probably need to repent about. I asked you personally, have you sold out to the Lord? I mean, sold out to the Lord. I mean, sold out to the Lord. There are people that sell out to everything else in the world but Jesus. Moved to Alabama, and I don't know if you know this, but in Alabama, the primary religion is football. And people will sell out to Alabama football, Auburn football. But before you point your fingers at them, People will sell out to Mississippi State football and Ole Miss football. 
We'll sell out. But have you ever sold out to the Lord like that? I want to just tell you the truth. All the sports and games and what have you are fine and good if they're in the proper place. But you nor I will ever be happy. We'll never be more content. We'll never be more fulfilled than when we sell out to our Lord Jesus. And how strong faith. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, we repent of our corporate, tiny faith. We ask you to increase our faith and make us faith walkers. Bring us to the point where we trust you implicitly. That we don't have to see a bottom line. All we have to do is hear your voice. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Help our faith to grow. Help our faith to mature. Thank you for your patience with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Tiny faith. The third sin is timid prayers. Timid prayers. Since I've been your pastor, I've urged, I've encouraged, I've cajoled, I've asked, I've begged for us to give our energy and our attention to prayer. I think I said this in the first part of the service, is that nothing of any eternal consequence ever comes apart from prayer. Our prayer life says much about who we are. At the same time, I don't think that I've challenged us about the boldness of our prayers. Like with our tiny faith, the truth is is that sometimes we forget, we tend to forget how big God really is. And if we ask him, he may do the impossible here in our lives. The Bible says with nothing is with God nothing is impossible. Another way to put that is all things are possible with God. Have you ever really thought about that? All things. Not some things, not a few things. All things. Jesus nor his disciples prayed timid prayers. Why? Because their prayers displayed their dependence on their God. And the size of their prayers displayed or demonstrated the size of their God. Their prayers were incessant, and those incessant prayers revealed their confidence in and their relationship with their Lord. Let's be this way. Let us not pray timid prayers. Rather, let's take our cues from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Therefore, now I always tell people what is therefore for. If you go to 16, a few verses earlier. It says, it talks about Jesus being our high priest. Jesus knowing how we feel. It's all about Jesus. So therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. So that we may receive mercy and find great grace to help us in time of need. You know what mercy is. I've, I've shared this with you. You probably knew it before I got here. Mercy is us not getting what we do deserve. And grace is us getting what we don't deserve. Timid prayers are neither.
Now, I could go on for another day about prayers. Because, honestly, our hearts have to be that we have great faith in a great God if we're going to preach, if we're going to pray great prayers. It just is. If you've never trusted Christ, I spoke to you earlier. The greatest prayer you can pray right now is, Lord Jesus, I put my faith and my trust in you. Forgive me my sin. Come into my life and change me and I'll follow you. If you've trusted Christ, the greatest prayer you can pray is, Lord Jesus, I know I'm not what I should be today. I know I have these sins in my life. If you can't remember your sins, ask him. He'll tell you. He'll tell you. He does me. He'll meet you in prayer. He will speak to you. He will call you. These three sins, weak pulpit, tiny faith, timid prayer. They're the first three for us to kind of get in order. Are you in order? Do you have a tiny faith? Or do you have a big faith? Do Do you just pray? Now lay me down to sleep. God is great. God is good. Thank you for the food. Nothing wrong with those prayers if they're sincere. We're talking about meeting with God in prayer. Let me pray with us. Would you bow? Heavenly Father, today we come to you and we realize the great God that you are the great love that you have, the great life that you offer. Please forgive us, first of all, for our timid prayers for not praying to you in a way that honors you. In a way that honors your strength. And even in a way that honors your desire to work in us and through us, please forgive us because we need you today. Forgive us for not having the faith enough to ask you for the big things that you want to give us. Help us see our need in your heart and your desire and your plan. Lord, we'll be stubborn. We'll want things our way. We'll be arrogant. Believing that we can walk without you. We'll even be apathetic. Thinking that we know what's important more than what you know. But we do know that you sent Jesus to forgive us of our sin. We ask you today to forgive us. Work in our hearts. Reveal to us our need for you. And then draw us to yourself. In Jesus' name. Thank you for an incredible time of worship.
you will take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. And you'll want to keep your Bibles close today because it's almost going to be like a Bible drill if you turn to every passage. A lot of them will be on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. In four weeks, we'll begin our meetings that are focused on having revival. I want to say that again. In four weeks, we'll begin our series of meetings focused on having revival. And I say it that way because in our culture here in the South, particularly in Marion County, revival is just a series of meetings. Oh, we're going to revival. We're going to have revival. And yet it's, uh, those are revival, it would be a revival effort, those would be revival meetings, so, but the revival would be what you're praying for to happen, but just because you have a series of meetings do not, do not indicate that you necessarily had spiritual revival. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here, I did with first hour and I'll do it with you, and I'm going to tell you, if you don't, if you don't respond verbally, at least nod your head so I know that you're awake, okay? I think we can all agree that our nation is in desperate need of revival. And if our nation's in desperate need, let me tell you, show you how this works. If our nation's in desperate need, this means our state's in desperate need, which means our county's in desperate need, which means our community's in desperate need, which means we as a church are in desperate need of a spiritual awakening. You see on the top of the screen up there the title of our series, The Repentance Road to Revival, because there's no way around it, brothers and sisters, people I love. I'm not mad at you nor angry at you, but the only way to have a spiritual awakening, the only way to have a spiritual revival is through repentance. Through repentance. Revival is... A divine movement of God that melts the cold heart, awakens the sleeping heart, revives the dead heart, and places God's kingdom agenda front and center. And I make no apologies for that's my prayer for us. That's my prayer for us. I'm going to remind you those who've been here a while, last August I preached a series of messages on authentic. For like six or eight weeks we had the authentic symbol up here and we talked about the authentic Christian. We talked about the authentic church. And as I began that series of messages, I shared with you what I gleaned from a friend of mine, a pastor at First Baptist Church Gardendale, Alabama, Kevin Ham, And he had talked about how God had impressed him that, that the church of today has... Nine sins. And I'm just going to refresh your memory. Uh, all you have to do is hit that space bar once. It's first weak pulpits and then uh, tiny faith and then timid prayer. And then it's followed by small commitment and then silent witness and no joy. And then it's followed by little compassion, dry eyes, and shallow worship. And then I added a tenth, if you remember. And the tenth one I added was no fear of God. I also told you in the message, those who were here, I also told you to not be surprised if we come back 
in the month of January and, and begin to visit these. And now in the shadow, in the foreshadow of us having this revival meeting and setting aside this time for effort to invite God to do something here, we're going to be on these for the next four months in this series, this next four weeks in the series, Road, the Repentance Road to Revival. It's time because the only way, again, the only way revival will come is if we come clean before the Lord. Um, Brock touched my heart a while ago when he says, Lord, I, I know I'm not ready right now, but help us examine our hearts. That's what this month will be given to, to examine our hearts. And it's against that backdrop. You can hit that space bar one more time so they don't, they don't just stay. Thank you. Is that I'm going to ask this question. Are we ready for God to do something in our lives? I mean, something like he's never done before. Something that is above and beyond all that we can think or ask. Something that is even beyond our imagination. Are we ready? Am I ready? Are you ready? Now, I ask that not just for drama effect. I ask that because if we don't want it, it is likely God won't send it. And I believe God wants to send it. And I'm going to share this with you. Just It's not something I have to tell you, but in my heart of hearts, deep inside, I'm afraid we're not ready to take it a step further I'm afraid that we're not willing and if I push it a step further <coughs> excuse me I'm afraid we're not wanting God to do something incredible because quite quite honestly we think we're fine just like it think we're fine just like we are think things are fine just like they are and that's our opinion that's our opinion. But what if? Now, I remind you of Ezekiel 37 where the Holy Spirit supernaturally, God's Holy Spirit supernaturally took Ezekiel from where he was and put him over in the valley of dry bones. What if God would supernaturally come into this room and his spirit just take me right over there and sit me on the front pew? And then behind this pulpit appeared Jesus himself. Would he say everything was good? I mean, think about Jesus. He'll be here with his, the nail prints in his hand, the, the thorn prints in his head, the big gashing gap in his side that ruptured his heart, his feet pierced, and then his eyes afire. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to uh, humanize, but the best thing I can say about his eyes of fire, as we see in Revelation 1, is they're like the x-ray eyes that we used to watch the Superman, except for the part is, is that his x-ray eyes doesn't look and see through us. His x-ray eyes looks and sees in us. 
He sees our hearts. He sees our motivation. He sees our desire. Would he say it's all good? Would he say it's wonderful? And I'm just going to piggyback on that. Jesus walking with John in Revelation 1. In Revelation 2 and 3, you know, he wrote those seven letters to those seven churches. Excuse me. And to one church, he said, man, I'm... I know your affliction. I know what you're going through. And to another church, he says, hey, guys, I know where you live. And to the other five churches, he says, I know your works. I know what you do. I know what you don't do. I know what you think. I know what you like. I I know it. You see, folks, walking the road, the repentance road to revival may cause us to step in tracks that have sin attached to them that don't apply to us so we don't have to repent. But along this road during the next four weeks, as we journey from today to February 6th, we may find the things, or we just may find the thing that stops God from doing what he wants to in us. In fact, that may be an alternative Definition for revival, God doing in me all he wants to do. I don't know about you, but I sure would like that. And we're going to walk this road of discovery together. And when we do, maybe that comes to us and where we, where we come to the place where we sense the freshness of God's presence. We feel the fire of God's power. And we know the feeling of God's peace. If we could experience those, that means awakening. That means revival has begun. But in a crowd this size, there might be someone that has no clue what I'm talking about. I mean, this is church. We go to church in the South. Actually, we're not supposed to go to. There's no place in the Bible that says go to church. It says go to worship. It says assemble yourself together. You can't go to church. We are the church. But here's what I'll say to you. There might be somebody in here that's not a part of the church. Never really received Christ as personal Savior. Oh, you've been in church all your life. You may be a church member, not what I'm asking. But there's never come a time when you and the Lord got privately and personally connected Where you said, I am sorry for my sin. I know you died for my sin. Because here's what the Bible tells us. If there's someone that doesn't know, the Bible tells us that everybody's a sinner. It's none righteous. The Bible tells us that our sin separates us from God. We cannot ever be good enough. We cannot ever work our way to heaven. If you're you're one of those that go like a friend of mine that I still weep over, like a friend of mine says, I'm going to do the best I can when I get to the end. I'm going to pray God's got mercy on me and that my good outweighs my bad. If that's your attitude, I have bad news for you. You'll never be good enough to get into heaven. If you could be good enough to heaven, Jesus Jesus would not have had to die. In fact, if, if you could be good enough to get into heaven without Jesus, God, the Father owes the Son an apology for all he put him through. You see, Jesus came. The Bible tells us we're sinners by nature and by choice. But the Bible tells us that the gift of God, Jesus, the gift of God, 
is that we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you've never received Jesus in that way, if he's never come into your life, it doesn't matter how many times you've been baptized, how many church services you've been to, how many songs you've sung. Without Jesus, there's no hope. Why not today invite Jesus into your life if you've never invited him into your life? Now, if you have, and we're together, the repentance road to revival begins with us dealing with sin. We're going to deal with three of them today. Three of them, those first three. The first one is weak pulpits. I'll begin here. Now, some of you know that Kevin's a friend of mine, and he shared these but he didn't share them in the order I'm going to share them, nor the way that I shared them. Um, certainly I studied, and he and I spoke this week. But he didn't start right here. In my spirit, I had to start right here. Do you know why? Because if we have a weak pulpit, it's me. It strikes hold close to home because I'm the one in the pulpit. If this sin is present in this church, it, is, it begins with me. And with all that we're about to face... Everything we're about to do, all the sin over the next four weeks that we're going to bring to our attention that we need to deal with, it has to begin in me and with me. I can't carry you anywhere as your pastor leader that I've not been myself. And I'll tell you that as I, as I begin to develop this message, God spoke to me and just said, you need to be careful you see, my heart of repentance in this matter is this. Lord, don't let me speak anything but your truth. Don't let me get sidetracked. Don't let me chase rabbits. Help me speak your message. It's my prayer. But you know what? In many churches today, we have many preachers that are afraid to speak the truth. They're afraid to preach the word of God to the people of God and the power of God by the spirit of God with the anointing of God. I mean, you remember, some of the folks, folks remember it in this room. There was a time when the preacher just got up and preached hard, hard, hard and let the chips fall where they may. I hope that's kind of how we do, but here's what I want to say to you is that is that we need God's truth in the pulpit if there's going to be truth in the pew. In fact, one preacher said it this way. He said the reason there's so much death in our pews today is because there's so little life in our pulpits today. We're called to preach the truth. You didn't think I was ever going to get to the Bible today, did you? Second Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, it's going to be on the screen. Because of this truth, Paul wrote in his last letter, to his little young preacher boy, and he said, I solemnly charge you. I don't just charge you. I solemnly charge you before God and Christ, and Jesus, Christ Jesus. He's the one that's going to judge the living and the dead. And this is the charge. Preach the word. You see, nobody's saved outside of the gospel. Nobody's ever saved outside of God's plan. Why do we do this, Brother Jerry? Is this your own just personal opinion? Well, no. You might not make it there, but Isaiah 55 is our next scripture. Isaiah 55. And, and the Lord says, God speaking, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. 
Lord, this is the Lord's declaration. Watch this. For as the heaven, for as heaven is higher than earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. For <laughs> we're Ten Mile Creek, we're farmers. Let this sink in. For just as the rain and snow fall from heaven and do not return there without, watch this, saturating the earth, making it germinate and sprout, and providing seed to sow and food to eat. Everybody here can see that process going around us all the time. The rain falls, and it saturates the earth. It makes it germinate, and our seeds bud. We get more seeds to plant and get food to eat. And with all of that, so my word that comes from my mouth, says God, will not return to me empty. Old translations say void. But it will accomplish what I please and will prosper in what I send it to. You see, folks, the preacher does not have to, or the teacher does not have to invent ways to make the word of God relevant for today. He simply must tell it, share it, and proclaim it. It is true that in our culture that there are preachers that are afraid to preach the truth. This is sad because in America all they do is lose their job. In third world nations they can lose their life. And they preach the truth over there. It's sad. But not only do preachers are afraid to preach because of a fear of, of, of losing a job or harassment, but here's another thing I will tell you, church. Are you listening? You preach the Word of God loud enough, long enough, and strong enough, and somebody will leave you, church. Somebody will leave because they don't like it. How do I know this? You can go back to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and pick it up in verse 3. Paul writes, For the time will come. I'll pause and say it's today. I've experienced it. For the time will come. When people will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. And here's what I'm going to tell you. It's not so prevalent in our culture in Marion County, but I've been in the urban culture. And people church shop just as like they go retail shopping. If they don't like what the preacher says here, they'll go somewhere where they find somebody that says what they want them to say. You preach against some things, and I could call some sin, and people will go, uh, uh, I'm going someplace else. I can tell you some experiences privately. I think there's a little more than there. They will turn away from hearing the, say that word with me, truth. Oh, we can do better than that. Most all of us read. They will turn away from hearing the truth and turn aside to myths. But as for you, exercise self-control in everything. I'll just tell you, that's the knife to my heart. I mean, self-control, come on. I do my best, don't you? Don't look so self-righteous. If you look really self-righteous, I'm going to talk to your kids or your wife or your husband, okay? Exercise self-control in all things. Endure hardship. And then he says, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. What's the work of an evangelist? Here's what I'm going to tell you, New Hope. It's making room for all people. It's embracing 
all people. It's sharing the gospel with all people. It's making disciples of all believers. It's loving all people. It's caring for all people. It's, it's giving your heart to all people because Jesus loves all people. Jesus lived for, he died for, he went back to heaven, he loved all people. And one day he's returning for those who were his disciples. He desires all people to find a place in a local church family. Weak pulpits. Would you let me pray right now? Would you bow with me? Lord, I repent and I ask you to forgive me of the times that I took your word into my hands. And I took your words into my hands instead of allowing your word, your power, and your truth, and your spirit to control both my mouth and my message. I ask you to forgive me for those times that I have not rightly divided your word. And Father, I pray that same prayer for every pulpit in this church, for every Sunday school teacher, for every small group leader, for every mission organization leader, for anyone who stands to proclaim your truth. I pray, Lord, that our pulpits will not be weak. I pray that we'll be strong because of our confidence in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Weak pulpits. The second sin that he, we talk about is a tiny faith. A tiny faith. Are you a little offended by that? A little bit offended by that? Let me ask you this question. How big is your God? How big is your God? I want you to think about it. For me, I think we serve a huge God. We serve a big God. People, If I were to go to person to person and ask you, you got a big God or a little God? Most of us will go, well, hey, we got a big God. He's big. Really? We got a big God? Really? Well, can you tell me this? What is it that you trust him for? What do you ask him for? What is it that you have believed him for that is so big that if he doesn't come through, it won't happen and you'll be embarrassed? What is it? I mean, to me, this is one of those areas in the modern day Baptist church. And for those that think, why are you putting down Baptist? I'm putting down Baptists because I are one, because I've been one for over 60 years, because I know us. I know our warts and our wrinkles. This is one of the areas that the average Baptist church doesn't, just simply doesn't add up when I think about it. I mean, we say we have a big faith. We promote the idea that we have a big God. We promote the idea that we have a big faith. And we bristle at the thought of having a tiny faith. But too often, too often, 
if we can't see it, touch it, prove it, or work it out on a spreadsheet, we don't believe it. That's not faith. 1998, 798, the church we were pastoring, we're building a building. I asked God to love me so much. You know, God so loved the world that he, that he didn't send a committee. He sent Jesus, okay? That's what John 3.16 says. And I asked God if he could love me so much that I never had to go through another building program again, okay? We were building a building. And somebody said, well, you know, we don't really need to build this building until we get all the money in the bank. And I said, say, what? I mean, we were, we were mad at together. One lady cornered me in the hallway behind the pulpit one Sunday morning, and we could not even get to each other. I was standing over here, and she was about 10 foot away, and we couldn't get to each other because the hall was so matted with people. We're already on two services to try to make more space. We don't need this building. And I go, have you looked around? Where's your common sense? I said that in front of everybody. I know God forgave me later, okay? Where's your common sense? We need the money. And I said, let me ask you a question. The building was supposed to cost about $900,000, $800,000. And I said, we had about a quarter of a million. And I said, how, if, we had, if we had a million dollars in the bank, how much faith would it take to build this building? Well, we'd be able to pay for it. I said, God's got more money than you ever thought about. And so I will tell you that I told the people, I said, I got good news and I got bad news. I said, what? I said, we have all the money we need to build the building. That's the good news. And here's the bad news. It's still in your pocket. And we did build it and we did pay for it. And act of huge faith. Folks, we serve a mighty God. I know you're not an amen in people, but I'm going to just make you, I'm going to make you get out of your comfort zone. I'm going to say that again. We serve a mighty God. Amen. And I want to show you a man of faith if you want to turn your Bible. First uh, Kings chapter 18. First Kings chapter 18. We're going to be talking about Elijah. I want you to think about Elijah, a man of faith. 1 Kings chapter 18, I think verse 1's up there. Thank you. And it begins this way, after a long time. Now, I added some ends there. After a long time. Now, what are we talking about? Well, back in 17, Elijah had announced to King Ahab that there was going to be a drought on the land. He did that because it was the word of the Lord. And now there had been a drought for a long time. We've lived through droughts. We know all the things that go on. And after a long time... The word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, and he said, Go and present yourselves to, yourself to Ahab. Here's what he said. Are you ready? I will send rain on the surface of the land. Woo! Rain's coming. Rain is coming. And here's what I want to tell you. That was big stuff in a drought. Now flip in that same chapter down to verse 41. In verse 41, it says, Elijah said to Ahab, Get up, eat and drink, for there is, I hear, the sound of a rainstorm. 
Hello? Now, this morning I woke up about 4.30, and I heard it raining outside. Now, you guys built a great house for your pastor. I mean, I said it before, I'll say it again. We feel like the Beverly Hillbillies. We just didn't have the cart, and, and I didn't have the rocking chair for Deborah to ride on the back as we drove in over there, okay? I mean, beautiful place, and, and it holds sound so well, so I know if I can hear something going on outside, something's really going. I can hear the sound of rain. When, when, I, when Elijah said there is a sound of rain and I, and I can hear it, there was no wind, there was no thunder, there was no lightning, there was no water falling. He just said, I hear it because God said it was going to happen. So let's move forward with this. Verse 42, so Ahab did what he was told. He went to eat and drink. But Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. What a position of humility. What a position that we need to learn again. I told first hour, if I thought I could get back up without embarrassing myself about rolling over, I would show it to you. Because one of the things that we have lost, listen, brothers and sisters in America, one of the things we lost is this ability to humble ourselves before God. Could be the reason that we don't hear from them like we used to. Truth is, I challenge you to show me one verse in this Bible that says God doesn't work today like he did in the, first, in the New Testament and Old Testament. Show it to me where he quit or where he can't. Where he's impotent. You see, I believe that one of the reasons that God doesn't speak to us and doesn't lead us and guide us has little to do with him, has all to do with us. Had a discussion with a real good preacher friend of mine. I believe that what's happening is the Nazareth principle. You haven't heard of the Nazareth principle? Saddest thing in the Bible. Jesus started his ministry. He started performing miracles. And he went to his hometown these folks that had been so good to them, he wanted to share his ministry with them. And the scripture says he could not, not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Because they didn't believe he could do it. You see, that's what revival is going to be about, is believing, turning tiny faith into huge faith. Man, I chased that rabbit. Let's get about back here. He's down on his, in, his, in, his humble, in his humble position before the Father. And then verse 43, is it up there, man? Verse 43, he said to his servant, get up and look toward the sea. So here's what happens. He's sitting down here in this position. He looks over at his, at his servant. He says, Sam, go check the sky. And Sam goes over and he checks the sky. And he comes back. He says, nothing there. Sam, go back. Nothing there. 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 You want to read that? He said uh, to his servant, get up and go look at the sea. So he went there and looked and said, there's nothing. Seven times Elijah said, go back. Six times there was nothing there. And I ask you this today. Would you have given up? Would you have given up and said, oh, this is going to happen? Honestly, I probably would have. But I wonder if that's the problem with the modern-day church in America. Could it be that our faith is so tiny and small that when we are quitting, God is just beginning? 
When we quit, God's ready to go. We quit praying. Oh, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God did nothing. Well, he did nothing you saw, but he might, he's not through yet. I start, I've been witnessing, I've been sharing faith, and nothing's happened. Well, God's just getting started, and you're quitting. Giving, serving, I mean, you name it. The seventh time. Sam, why don't you go back one more time? And he looks over there, and there's a little cloud, and he goes. He comes back, and he says, well, there's one small cloud about the size of your hand. Is that up there? I don't even know if it's up there or not. Yeah, he said, go look toward the sea. And he looked seven times. On the seventh time, there's a cloud as small as a man's hand coming up from the sea. Then Elijah said, don't you like this part? I mean, think about it. All that's up there is a little cloud. And he goes and tells the king, get your chariot ready and go down that the rain doesn't stop you. Let's, Let's finish this chapter in a little while. The sky grew dark with clouds and wind. There was a downpour. So Ahab got in his chariot and went to Jezreel. The power of the Lord was on Elijah, and he tucked his mantle under his belt and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. I want to say this to you. Several things, and we don't have time to, to unpack it all. But Elijah's got what amounts, he's got a tunic on. It amounts to a choir robe. So he can't run in a choir robe. So he takes the tunic and he folds it up under his belt so he's got so it's not hampering his legs. And watch this. Ahab is in a chariot pulled by horses. Elijah is running. And he beats Ahab to Jezreel. You're talking about the power of the Lord? There it comes. And, and they get there just as the rain comes. Now remember this. There's a little cloud. He goes over there and he goes, a little cloud. You know, boss, it's a little cloud. It's not even dark. Doesn't look promising. Doesn't look threatening. Doesn't look like anything. And Elijah says, the rain's coming. Morning first hour as we got to the invitation time, we had a couple of men to come forward. You think that's no big deal. But that may be the little cloud. Maybe the little cloud that God is ready to turn into a South Mississippi thunderstorm. It may be what, it may be the very thing that causes us to remember how big God is. Because the size of our faith may be tied to the size of our God. I'm afraid that we've forgotten how big God is. I'm afraid that we've forgotten. How mighty God is. I'm afraid that we have forgotten that he is worthy of a big faith. You know what my fear is? My fear is that one day I get to heaven, when I get to heaven, that God says, Jerry, you did okay. But I really had so much more I wanted to do in you, with you, through you. And the church that you pastored, New Hope, I just had, I want you just to see all that I had in store for them. But y'all didn't ask. 
You didn't have faith. You had to figure it out on your own. Here's what I will tell you as I think about that scene. It's at that point that he would literally have to wipe the tears from my eyes. You know what it says? He's going to wipe tears from the eyes. That we missed it. I pray, brothers and sisters, that we are not people of tiny faith and that we do not possess a tiny faith because to whom much is given, much is required. God has given us much. So I'm I'm ready to pass this point, but I have to ask the first question. Do you think... This is rhetorical. Don't answer it out loud, for goodness sake. Do you think that we're doing all that we can do to bring the gospel to the nations? I mean, we've given cooperative program money. We gave a record Lottie Moon for international missions. We give Danny Armstrong. We do all of that. We take a mission trip. Do you think that we're doing all that we can do to take the gospel to the nations? Well, Brother Jerry, we're on the creek, and so yes, it may be a little more than we can process. Okay, well, let's bring it down to something we can process. Do you think, do you think that as a people that we're doing all that we can do to bring the gospel to our community? I love you, and I love being here, and I love being among God's people. I don't think we're doing all that we can do. So here's where it comes down to. Are you sold out to the Lord? Let's how about that stuff. Are you sold out to the I mean, oh, Brother Jerry, I don't know about that. I don't be a fanatic. And I go, well, you know what a fanatic is? A fanatic is a fan with an attitude. Fanatic. I don't know about this selling out thing. Well, sure you do. We all sell out to things. I went to Alabama as a pastor where football is a religion. I'll just say this, and I'm going to cover the gimmick so I'll make everybody equally mad. I'm an equal opportunity offender. There are people here that are sold out to Alabama football. There are people here that are sold out to Auburn football. You'll get saved one day. That's another thing. There are people here that are sold out to Ole Miss football, LSU football, Mississippi State football. Sold out. You know how I know? Because we'll sell out to get to, to, to watch a game or, or to go to the game. We'll do that. Here's what I'm going to tell you. Just as sure as you sell out to something like that, you sold out the Lord. It's time for us to sell out to him. Time for us to sell out to Him. And if you sell out to Him, you'll never be happier. You'll never be more content. You'll never be more fulfilled. Listen, football, basketball, sports, I I spent my life in sports. They make good hobbies, but they make horrible gods. Where's your faith in God? Is it tiny or is it huge? Let me pray for us on this matter. Would you bow with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you to repent of our corporate tiny faith. 
Help us to grow in our faith, to mature in our faith. As the man said to you, Lord, increase our faith. Thank you for your patience with us. In Jesus' name, amen. The last sin we'll deal with is timid prayers. Timid prayers. Since becoming your pastor, I've urged you, I've encouraged you, I've cajoled you, I've I've, uh, um, asked that we give energy and attention and priority to prayer. Because here's the thing, folks. Please listen. Nothing of eternal consequence happens outside of prayer. I want to say that again. Nothing of eternal consequence happens outside of prayer. All of that said, I've probably not challenged our boldness to pray. And we should be bold. We tend to forget that we serve a big God. We serve a powerful God. We tend to forget how big he is. If he's asked, he may well do the impossible. But the Bible says... uh, Nothing is impossible with God. Or said another way, all things are possible. The only way we tap into his power, the only way we know what he can do is through prayer. Watch this. Regular, daily, ongoing, organic prayer where we're speaking with him develops us to a place where we can speak bold prayers. What you are, what you believe, what you do is a product of your prayer life. In a book, Mark Patterson said this. Let me startle you because this startled me. Mark Patterson said this. If your prayers prayers aren't impossible to you, they are insulting to God. Jesus and his disciples prayed huge prayers And it demonstrated their dependence on a huge God. The size of their prayers demonstrated the size of their God. You want to know what the Bible says about how bold we're to be in prayer? Put it on the screen, if you will, Mitch. Therefore, now let me pause there. Anytime you see a therefore in Scripture, it's unfair not to explain what it's there for. Previous three verses, it talks about Jesus being our high priest, that he knows everything we're going to because he's been through everything. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. Mercy, us not getting what we deserve. Grace, us getting what we don't deserve. Timid prayers are neither. If you're in this room, and even after two appeals in this message, if you're still outside of Christ, here's what I'm going to tell you. You can be sure that his hand extends to you. You can be sure that the most important thing you could do is pray a bold prayer. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm worthy of hell. And I know that you died for me. And I know you want to save me. And I ask you to come into my life. I believe you and trust you. If you are in Christ... Here's what he will do. He will meet you in your prayer, and he will revive a cold. He will revive a dead heart. He will melt a cold heart, and he will give you a new heart. And that's the first step toward revival. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, today.
as we come to you, realizing the great God you are, realizing the great love you have, realizing the great life that you offer, please forgive us for not praying to you in a way that honors you and your power and your strength and even your desire to work in us. We need you today. Forgive us for not having enough faith to ask you for the big things that you want to give us. Help us see our need. Help us see your heart. Help us see your desire. Help us see your plan. We'll be stubborn and we'll want it our own way. We'll be arrogant. Believing we can do without you. We'll even be apathetic. Thinking we know what's important and putting your plans to the side. But we know that you sent Jesus to forgive us of these sins. We ask you to do it. Work in our hearts. Reveal to us our need for you, then draw us to yourself. As the music plays, this is your time with the Lord. What will you do with what you've heard? Has he spoken to you? If he has, what has he said? Altars open. If you'd like to come up, just get along with him. If you need me, I'm, I'm here. speaking to you why would you not respond